Awesome. It's so good to be here. You guys are like family because you're part of the family, right? Amen? Uh, as Rob mentioned, uh, yeah, I've known Jeff for, gosh, 23 years. Um, Brandon, I think, was like three or littler, and I don't think Austin was yet born, or maybe he had just been born. Um, when I went up to the camp and met Jeff, I was, uh, that would make me 25. 20, no, I'm, I, was, I was 24 years old at the time, and uh, just a born-again believer, and God, as Rob mentioned, just pulled me up there and just opened the opportunity to serve there, and um, God's done an amazing work, and uh, it's awesome to see um, what God's done in Jeff and Connie's life and Brennan and Austin, and um, you guys are blessed to have a great family, amen? And uh, awesome. Um, super excited to be here. Uh, what a great privilege to be able to uh, open the Word of God and to share and teach. Um, tonight's message is entitled Walking in Love. Um, we're going to be coming out of uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, if you could, let's stand and we'll read verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians 5 and we'll pray and get into the word. Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2. And it says this, Therefore, be imitators of God. As beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Let's read that again. Read it aloud with me. Uh, I'm reading out of the ESV, so if it sounds a little different, it's all God's word. Just read along in your Bible. Okay, ready? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you died for us on a cross to set us free from our sin, that we could be an imitator of God through your sacrifice. Lord, tonight as we read about and talk about your scripture and glean about what it means to walk in love. Lord God, we pray that you would touch our hearts, that you would change our lives, that this word you said is alive and powerful, that it will bring correction and reproof and instruction in righteousness, that we'd be thoroughly equipped unto every good work, not lacking anything complete. To that end, Lord, we submit ourselves to your word. We confess, Lord, that we are sinners in the sight of a great, the great and only awesome God. So, Lord, we submit to you right now. Bless this time as we share your word. And may you be magnified and glorified. And we pray it in Jesus' name and all God's family said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, in order to get to Ephesians chapter 5, you've got to go through four other chapters to get there. And we're dealing with the subject of walking in love tonight. There's a story told of, of a dad and a, a mom and a, a young child. Uh, he's eight years old, and uh, it was a strong winter in Chicago. And um, this is a loving family. This family loved God, and um, this husband and, and father was desiring to walk in love, and he really felt he, he was. 
but he had this one crippling challenge and temptation. He had a problem with drinking. And it was this night that God spoke to him radically of what it really meant to walk in love. And this is what happened. It was late in the evening. His son had, was put to sleep and he was having that craving. He was having that temptation and he decided he was going to give into it. And so he lugged on his boots. He jacketed up and he was getting ready to go out. And uh, it was midwinter. It was a fresh storm. And so there was a good foot of snow. And he began to leave that house and shut the door and make his way to the local convenience store to get some alcohol. And what he didn't realize is what was going to take place. So he's trudging through the snow. And if you've ever been in the winter, I, I grew up in Maine and I know what winter storms are like. I was in the mountains with, uh, at the youth camp and sometimes you just get three or four feet of snow. And so that's what it was like. And he's trudging through the snow and he's leaving these deep footprints as he's making his way a clean path to the convenience store. And then something just began to strike him. And you've had this feeling before. I feel like somebody's following me. And so he's trudging and something just stops him. And he stops and he turns around and looks. And what does he see? He sees his little son jumping from footstep to footstep behind him. And the Lord just spoke to him right then. You are not walking in love towards your family. And at that moment, he realized that the way he was living the secrets that even he thought he could hide were leading his son down a path that was not walking in love. And how many times the Lord speaks to our hearts in moments like that where we kind of just put it to rest and we don't deal with it. But that man from that day forward did not pick up alcohol again. It spoke so profoundly to him. So I wonder and I tell that story because that's my story as far as God getting a hold of my life, which I'll share towards the end. And it deals with what does it mean to walk in love? And I, I want to encourage us and caution us. Could it be possible that we are walking in such a way that we think we're walking in love, but we're really not? We, we think we understand what it means to walk like a Christian, but we're really not. And God might just bring that loving conviction tonight to us and say, I love you this much that I want to speak to you in a very profound and powerful way through this scripture. And so as we deal with the issue of walking in love, uh, I want you to go back a couple, just a chapter to chapter four, and we're going to pick up at the very beginning verse of chapter four. And the reason for that is, the book of Ephesians is an awesome letter that Paul wrote, and it comes from a man who is deeply moved by God. We know he was converted on the road to Damascus. God showed up, quite literally, blinded him and spoke to him audibly and uh, revealed himself in such a powerful way that this man who was going out to kill Christians the very same day gets saved and becomes one of the most profound uh, writers of the Gospels, or not the Gospels, of the letters of the Scriptures that we have. He was greatly moved by God. So in Ephesians, it's broken up into 
two sections, Ephesians 1 through 3 and Ephesians 4 through 6. And the amazing thing about Ephesians 1 through 3 is it's the glorious position that we have in Christ. And Paul talks for three chapters about what God has done and how he's loved us and how he's poured out his blessings in our position in Christ, that you are loved and cared for and it's God holding you in his hands. And there's nothing that you can do to earn God's favor. It's God's grace and mercy. You have every heavenly blessing. Isn't that amazing? You are loved by the creator of the universe. You're cared for. And there's nothing that you can do that would cause him to not love you. It's unconditional. There's nothing I can do to earn his love. And there's nothing I can do to take away his love. And being a parent of five kids, I have four girls and one boy, uh, 20 down to eight. So pray for that young boy because he's got five mothers and they are mothers and uh, he will be the most sensitive husband in the entire world. I had a brother who was six foot five, 300 pounds. uh, When he was a sophomore in high school, I got killed. So my sensitivity levels dropped right here, but his, he is a talker. He, I mean, he is going to be amazing. (laughs) Having said that, there is nothing that my kids can do that will change my love for them. I don't care if they're walking in sin. That doesn't change my love. I care for them. I don't want them to walk in sin, but my love for them never changes. I mean, I watched those five kids birthed. Dude, that's, a, my wife is more of a man than I am. She, that's, that's, you ladies, hey, I know it's part of the curse, but man, God's blessed you ladies. So I say that because the love of God can never, never be changed for you. That's a promise. So having said that, our position in Christ Now, what I want to do is I want to walk through chapters four and five because there are eight therefore statements. And you've heard this statement before. I'm sure Jeff has said it before. Um, When you have a therefore, find out what it's there for, right? So all of chapters four, five, and six are the launching from the foundation of chapters one through three, our position in Christ. So because our position in Christ is so secure, Paul now goes into this practical application of chapters 4, 5, and 6 and say, therefore, because of what God has done, because of his love for you and his security in you, and he, he loves you unconditionally, died and sent his son for you, because nothing can separate you from his love, nothing can earn his grace, nothing can take it away. Because of that, therefore, I'm going to exhort you to walk in love this way. So these are nuggets of just practical things of, Lord, how do I walk in love? And they're exhortations. And why? You'll hear correction. You'll hear encouragement. Because Paul's seeing that in his own life. And he's seeing that amongst the church in Ephesus and Galatia, Cappadocia, all over. He's seeing that with believers. Walking with God is a struggle. Can I get an amen to that? It's just as hard, if not harder, to not walk with God. You're going to spend the same amount of energy doing one or the other. But why not? 
walk with the eternal God for life that does matter, that will last for eternity, in which you will get rewards. Not just being in heaven, but that will affect what we do in heaven. So there are eight therefores, and they're great nuggets, and it starts in verse 1 of chapter 4. Let's go through it. It says this, Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy. Underline that words. Walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called with, and then underline these words, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Walk worthy. What's that mean? It means that our walk should be of value. That we would walk in such a way that it carries a weightiness or a worthiness to it. It's not worth less. It's worthy of the calling which we've been called. And then the list he gives us in this, therefore, are describing the character of God. Listen to this. With, and circle this word too. The word all in Greek, anytime you see it, means all. All humility. That means every ounce of humidity, humility. It says with all gentleness. I mean, what is that? Let's, let's think about it. What does that look like when I'm at home with my wife and I get done from a long day at work and she says, I um, didn't have time to make dinner. How am I going to react? What's the gentleness going to look like in that moment? What does it look like when a, a coworker or somebody at work, you know, just is riding you the wrong way? What does this walking with all humility and all gentleness look like? Because that's what we've been called to, because that's the way God is to us. And it says with all patience. I love that. You want to get a great tattoo? Patience isn't patience until it's patient. Ever been in the grocery line and it's like, I got the wrong line again. Patience is not patient until it's patient. Man, that's a challenge for my faith. These are a lot of great nuggets of saying, Lord, this is what it looks like to walk in love. And you may be going, man, that's, I'm the, who's, the, who's the impatient one? Come on. Been on, the, been on the freeway lately? It took us an hour to get here. You guys have really bad traffic. I thought Orange County was bad. You guys have it worse. Man, patience is not patient until it's patient. Bearing with one another in love. I, I love that word, bearing. It, it means holding up, carrying. I mean, what does that look like? I mean, I, a dad of five, four girls, I mean, come on. There's emotion in the house. Holy cow, when everyone's on the same cycle, it's great. It's amazing. But hey, what does it mean to bear? Like, I didn't grow up with that. So that's, that's a challenge to bear with. You know, when my daughter's crying, I'm just like, why? Because there's no chips. It, it could be worse, you know. Or, you know, something happens and your emotions are just driving. 
And that's not wrong. That's, that's how to bear with one another in love. And I, it, it could be that situation. Or it could be, you know, the person that you just have no patience with. It could be a coworker. It could be a family member. You could be that person that people look at and go, oh, here comes Craig. Just don't, don't come my way. And you're like, and then they come your way anyways. What does it look to bear with one another in love? And he says, last but not least, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That sounds so awesome. And yet, I think we live it out so little of the time. Eager, that means quick to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So that means when conflict comes up, what does it look like to be quick to say, I want to bring unity in this through the bond of peace, to pursue it to the point where I find it, instead of just checking out or cutting people off. I'm eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, it says in verse 7, I, I, I want to highlight this because the, one of the questions that we can kind of get in this is like, okay, I want to walk in love and it's encouraging me to do this here, but how do I do it? And verse 7 gives us the, the key. Because it says in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to or to the degree of the measure of Christ's gift. And therefore it says, here's our second therefore. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and it says, and he gave gifts to men. How can I walk in love in this way? Paul would go on to then say, therefore, because Christ has given you the gift of grace, you have the ability to do it. You can't check out and say, I don't have it right now in this moment. No, you have God's grace is we choose not to walk in it in that moment. So at every moment that you're getting pressed with impatient moments or conflict or any of those things, God would be saying through Paul, you have the gift, the gift of grace to walk in it. It's will you choose to? Will I surrender my will in that moment and say, yes, Lord. How can we? Verse seven and eight says, therefore, by the grace of God, it is a gift. So if you're not... Realize you're not walking in grace and simply ask God, Lord, show me your grace in this moment that I could walk in your love right now. Amen? The third, therefore, let's scroll down to verse 17 of chapter 4. And he says, Now this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to greedy practices of every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught him as the truth is in Christ Jesus, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, he says in verse 17, stop being so stinking selfish 
Dude, that's a good word for all of us. Any, any selfish people in here? You married? If you're not married, man, you're really selfish. If you're married, you're even more selfish. You don't know how selfish you are until you get married. Then you realize, wow, I have this other person that really desires my attention and my utmost service. And he says, therefore, stop being selfish because of why. In that passage, he's talking about deceitfulness. And he says, you can be deceived, especially when you're selfish. He says in the futility of your mind, like the Gentiles, what were the Gentiles? They're about sensuality. It's all about me. Everything about my life. And I challenge you husbands, is your family all about you? Whose schedule is your life around? Is it about you or is it about your family? And it's a challenge because when Paul is talking about this, he goes on to saying you can become hardened and calloused. It's a sign of deceitfulness. A sign of deceitfulness is to go, I'm not selfish. First sign you are. <laughs> I know. I'm faced with it every single day. I have six people to serve in my house that I live with. They have a lot of needs. Then you have a congregation of people that have a lot of needs. Man, we should be in front and aware of our selfishness immediately. And this is why. Why is Paul encouraging this? Because our tendency is to go right to selfishness. And then because of that, we become very deceived. Listen to what he says. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Now he's saying this to believers, to you and to me. Why? Because it's so easy to do that. It's so quick to fall into that selfishness and you become hardened. And and I love the next therefore because he deals with it. Verse 25. Number four, therefore. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. And then listen to the list he gives. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath. Give no opportunity to the devil. And he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, and so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And let no corrupt communication come out of your mouths, but only that such is good for building up. Man, talk about the workplace encouragement. And that goes for me in the church too, man. Gossip is the quickest thing I run to, right? Man, it's meaty and warm. It's, yeah, gossip, gossip. That's what my flesh says. Why? Because it's it's easy to put people down so I can feel better. Listen, what else he goes on to say? Verse 28, uh, I'm sorry, verse 29. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building up as fits the occasion. Sometimes it's better to say nothing, amen? That it may give grace to those who hear. And he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In case you don't know what that means, he goes, in case you don't get all the other things I say, listen to the Holy Spirit. And he says, by whom you were sealed on the day of redemption, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, road rage, no, no, slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another. Wow. 
hey, it's potential for us to be deceived. And then Paul goes in number four, therefore, and he says, now put it all away. Get rid of all of this junk, deceitfulness. And how do you know? Let me ask you this. And I ask myself this constantly. When was the last time somebody corrected you and you actually listened and said, you're right, please forgive me. If you've not been corrected recently, dude, that's a red flag. Because God's correction is a sign of, my, of his love for me. And I'm grateful I have a wife who has been gracious enough to bring about changes that need to happen in my life. That that's emboldened in my kids at times to go, Dad, you're wrong. And I go, you're grounded. <laughs> Come on, have you done that before? Come on. No. I mean, my, my five-year-old son at the time, I, I'm just got the angry face on and I'm just being angry. Ephraim, da-da-da-da. Dad, that's not Jesus. Ephraim, you're grounded. I mean, he's right, isn't he? He saw that scene in, uh, um, what is it, uh, uh, Monsters, Inc., where Sully's doing the scare room and little, uh, what's her face? What's her name? Boo. Boo's down there, and Sully's doing the scare thing. He's like, and she's like looking up, and they showed on the video, and for the first time, he sees what he looks like when he's angry. That's what my kids and my wife see constantly. It's horrifying at times. What would it be like to see me when I'm angry? I don't know. I mean, ask people that I get angry at or frustrated with, or ask the people at work that I, you know, that, that run into me, or talk to the person on the road that you're honking at and tell them to get off the road. I mean, what does it feel like to be corrected? Because Paul is saying here in this, therefore, put it, all this stuff away. Put the falsehood away. You need to be open to be corrected because you can be deceived. And then what happens? You get hard. And then all this stuff that you see, angry, not doing honest things. Man, it starts out small, but man, it gets big quickly. And he's encouraging you. And at the end, he says in verse 32, man, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That's what walking in love looks like. But Paul brings this amazing correction in saying, hey, listen up. Who's your correction? Where's the voice of God in your life? What things are coming about? And the Holy Spirit, man, is faithful to put his finger right there. And it'll be circumstance after circumstance. And then finally, it prayerfully doesn't come to a point of you running into rampant sin and God knows what. But I've seen it happen so many times. So be encouraged to walk in love. Look what verse 1 says of chapter 5. This is the fifth, therefore. And it says this. Therefore, be imitators of God. As beloved children, I love that word, circle that word beloved. It means that you are God's favorite. Now, all my kids ask me that question constantly. I'm dad's favorite or I'm mom's favorite. No, no, you're all my favorites. That's what God says to us. I've got a bazillion favorites, God would say. You're my beloved children. Isn't that awesome? I mean, think about that. God looks at you and says, you're my favorite. And God, because he's God, can go, and you're my favorite. And you're my favorite and you're... God says you're his beloved 
child. And he says, because of what I've talked about, Paul says, about not being deceived and walking in love in this way, be imitators. Imitate God, not this world, as beloved children and walk in love. And I want to give you two visions of this. Some of you may experience this or have before in the past when you first met that crush with eighth grade, third grade, you're like, and you're like, you're like walking in love. And you're just like dazed, like you're so amazing. And then you see him in high school and you graduate like, man, I'm glad I didn't marry that person. <laughs> but what was the emotion about that you had? You were like walking in love. You're just like, that person's like God. No, they're not. They're just a human being. But this affection that you had, and it, it means two things. Walk as though you're in this love relationship with God. And walk towards others as though you love them like that. Man, that's hard when you have difficult people in your life, which is anybody but yourself. <laughs> Unless you find somebody that's really like you and that you like them a lot because they're a lot like you, and that's not real love. You're just liking yourself in a different person. <laughs> right? Right? That's right. So walk in love as though you're dearly loved by God in that gaga, gugo, this is amazing. And then walk in love towards others that way. And he says, because God gave himself up, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice. I love this statement. What do you smell like around other people? And I, I get this picture, and I don't, I hopefully, hey, if you've got some hygiene issues, dude, get some deodorant, get some good cologne in that order, because it doesn't do any good to get cologne if you still have bad BO, okay? It just smells like pretty BO. But the point being that he says this fragrance, I get this picture of Mary Magdalene when she anoints Jesus' feet. And it's a beautiful picture because she's wiping his feet with her hair. The fragrance is going to be on her and on Jesus and everyone in that room was affected by what she did in her act of worship towards Christ. And when she left that room, that fragrance went with her. What fragrance do I breathe in when I walk into a room? What fragrance do I leave when I leave? And what fragrance do I carry wherever I go? What's the, I mean, this is one we can all relate to. What's the fragrance in my car when I'm driving? I mean, if we had a, you know, a a hero camera, a camera in our car, and we could videotape ourselves and then play them up here, would we be horrified at the way we drive and talk and what goes through our minds and thoughts? Like, I murdered 10 people on the way to work. I mean, what would that be like? Because that's the idea of what, Paul is saying here that that fragrance, everywhere that Christ went, it was not just his sacrifice, but it was the fragrance that he carried around people that people said, he has an authority like no other person that we've ever met. Man, like, Lord, 
Show me that love in Ephesians 1 through 3 that I might be exhorted to dig through these chapters and say, yes, Lord, make me this man or woman that's going to walk in love in this way. That I would start bringing this fragrance because of him dwelling in me. And guess what? Man, there's some, sometimes there's some deep issues that you may not even know from your past. That there's this bad fragrance that's coming out because there's bitterness in your heart. And and when he talked about this in the last section in Ephesians 4, he said, let all bitterness and wrath, and what that is, is walking in forgiveness because God has forgiven you. And you may have to verbalize that and say, Lord, I don't know why I'm so bitter inside, but I know that that bitterness is a sign of the root of unforgiveness. And it doesn't mean that what those people did to me was right or they will not answer for that. They will. But Lord, it's killing me. And I need to walk in forgiveness. I need to say, Lord, I don't even know what it is, but Lord, I forgive whatever it is because you forgave me. And that's what that fragrant offering and sacrifice looks like. Then in verse seven, the sixth, therefore, he says this. Therefore, in light of being an imitator of God and in light of Christ having loved us and giving himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice, therefore, do not become partners with them. Referring back to verse six, the sons of disobedience. For at one time you were in darkness, you were deceived, but now you're in the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to God to, uh, that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord and take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that, have, that are done in secret. But verse 13 says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Man, that's a word for some of us. Some of us are, are walking really close with darkness. And it needs to be exposed. Do not become partners with them. I remember when I was working up in Green Valley, I was on the fire department up there. Um, I was one of two drivers because everyone else was a local person and they just didn't get their license, but they still drove the trucks. But I was one of two guys that did. And, but there was a constant conversation that would go on when we'd have our training sessions. And it was just crude, rude jokes, sexist jokes, and just stuff that it's like, you know, do I really want to be around this? And so, you know, I'd sit there and I wouldn't chime in. I'd sit there and they're like, oh, is it not funny for the holy guy? I go, no, it's not. It's actually pretty disgusting. And I don't like it. So please don't, you know, use vulgarity and don't make fun of women. And, you know, it's just demeaning your own guys. And after four years of that, it, it came to a point where like, you know what? I need to part from that. And, and there would be a time where, I, and I'd say just like that in love, like, yeah, you guys are being dum-dums. It's just, you're leading no, nowhere. And then it came up, and I'd remove myself from the conversation because it continued on. I'd just step away. It was like, you know what? It, it's time to go. It's time to step away from this because I'm no longer being an influence. It just kept getting worse, driving trucks when they're drunk. It's like, you know, guys, you're going to end up hurting somebody. And maybe there's something in your life or there's uh, something that's going on where you need to part from being a part of that. 
It says in verse 12, it's even shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. I'll never forget when we were in Bible college, we would go up to uh, do outreaches. We'd go down to Skid Row, and one year we decided to go up to uh, San Francisco on Halloween. I don't recommend it. Um, unless you're visiting family and don't go into the city. Um, so we decided to go on uh, up to the corner of Haight Nashbury, which is the corner. And what they do during Halloween is that they block off the ends of the road, and it's a huge gay, um, transgender, um, sexual extravaganza. And there's a certain street you don't want to go down because they're actively doing it in the street, completely raw and whatever. So we were on this corner, <clears throat> 25 Bible college students and a, and a pastor from up there, and we led worship, just sat there on the corner and led worship for, uh, well, actually we sang the same song for three hours. That's how intense it was. But the thing that struck me was the people that came there just to see. Uh, there was a, an older couple. They're like, we think this is so funny. And look at all these transvestites. And they're dressed in their avant-garde. And, and all these things. And it's so cool and funny. They're weird. And it says it's even shameful to speak of those things. And, and man, they were coming up to, hey, you think you believe in Jesus? Jesus was a fag and he had gay apostles and if you trust in God, come down this street and see if God protects you. Like, no, man. The fire burns hottest when all the coals are together is what the pastor said. I love that. That was a good word. We just sat there and sang and worshiped and loved on them and and gave them the truth of the gospel. Not in a hard way, but you know, it's easy to find ourselves You know, they say to kill a frog, you put it in a a warm pot and slowly bring it to boil. And you and I can find ourselves in those places where we're like, hey, I need to part ways. I'm getting brought into some bad business practices. I'm starting to find myself compromising in certain areas or I'm hanging out with the buds and drinking beer and it's just leading to wrong things. So I encourage you, this is what Paul's saying. Don't be partners with them. Again, why is he encouraged? He's talking to believers. This is, blows my mind. You, you think he's talking to non-believers. He's like, no, no. Believers are getting caught up in this. Let that be a word to us. Amen? Then he says, number seven, therefore, in verse uh, 14, therefore it says, wake up. <laughs> I like what he just said. He's like, hey, don't have partners with them. Then he's like, slap yourself, wake yourself up. Because he says, arise from the dead and Christ will shine in you. Look carefully. or Look at that word. Underline the word carefully. It means walk with filled with care. That our walks should be filled. We should care how we walk is what he's saying. Not as an unwise person making best use of the time because why? Days are evil. Man, Paul said that 2,000 years ago. Wow. Our days are evil too. Amen? Man, be careful how you walk. Be filled with care how you walk, gentlemen. You husbands, what you're looking at, what your thoughts are dazing on, you'll destroy your marriage. Wives as well. Then the eighth, therefore, he says this in verse 17, therefore, don't be a fool. I love the Mr. T. I pity the fool. I always think of that when I read that verse. I don't know why. I pity the fool. But he says, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
And I want you to give you four keys in walking in love found in the next few verses. Verse 18 is number one. Don't be a fool, he says, but he says, do this. Do not get drunk with wine because that's debauchery. Alcohol is a huge destroyer of human life. Now, Paul's saying here, do not get drunk with wine. Now, I gave up alcohol a long time ago. I used to be a bartender, um, and when I came to the Lord, I was like, we're done. It's all good. And I've been tempted, and I've had a sip of champagne here and there, and the Lord's like, "Mm -mm, what you doing? Nothing. Precious. Precious. No, no. It's, It's yours, Lord. But no, the Lord just knocking on your heart saying, what are you doing? And now he's not saying, in a sense, you can't drink. He's saying, don't get drunk. I just encourage you that my conviction is that I just choose not to drink. I'm not going to open that door. Um, besides my wife's family, whole history of alcoholics, huge temptation. And we share that conviction. And there's times where we've challenged, I've challenged it. I'm like, well, you know, and the Lord's like, no, nope, don't go there. Chrissy's like, my wife's like, no. Nope. And it's a temptation. I'll be in a parking lot every once in a while. I mean, I used to get loaded when I was in high school and college. And I'll be in a parking lot and see kids going into the, you know, college kids going in there. I'm like, gosh, yeah, I do kind of like beer. Nope, don't go there. And he says, don't be drunk with wine. And I always encourage people, look at if you want to drink, it's a real fine line. State of California says 0.08 is when you're drunk. That's one alcoholic beverage an hour for a person that's 185 pounds. Do I really want to try to maintain that? Monitor that? I just encourage you guys, because what Paul then says, number two, is be filled with the Spirit instead. Don't be drunk with wine. And number two, he says, but be you continually filled with the Spirit. Now, I say this. If you do choose to drink, which you totally have all liberty to do, it has a lot of strict restrictions on it. You never get drunk. You never stumble somebody. And if you're in leadership, you're not given to it at all. That's pretty strict. How do you know if you're stumbling somebody? I don't know, man. Do you want to keep walking around and looking and, hey, do you get, are you getting stumbled by this? I mean, that's a lot to manage, but that's what he says. You need to be aware that if you're causing somebody to stumble, don't do it. So ask your wife how she feels about it. Ask your adult kids how they feel about it. Ask your friends if you go to lunch and have a beer, how do you feel about this? I don't want to stumble you. I don't walk in love towards you. That's what Paul's saying. The Bible's very clear about how strict it should be because it was a huge problem in Paul's day. But he says, be you continually filled with the Spirit. Number two, how do I walk in love? And he says, be filled with the Spirit. And literally what that means is be continually filled. And right down next to that, write Luke eleven thirteen. How do I get filled with the Spirit? Well, I'm a born-again believer when I accept Christ as my Savior and I said, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And I'm a sinner and I need your salvation because you died for my sins. And then I'm filled with the Spirit to the top. 
And then I ask for God's overflowing spirit by the baptism of the spirit. When I say, Lord, I want all that you got for me. It could happen at salvation. It could happen at your baptism. It could happen when you learn about it and say, Lord, I want all the gifts of the spirit. Great. You've got them all. That's what Luke eleven thirteen says. Jesus says this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And that word ask, if you circle it, it means keep asking. I never stop asking for the overflowing of God's spirit. If you're a born again believer, this bottle is filled with the water. You're full of God's spirit. When you're baptized in his spirit, like Acts 19 says, then that spirit is now overflowing from your life into the lives of others. And the gifts of God's spirit are now flowing out of you. And that is demonstrated by one thing, love. So ask for it. If you need a fresh filling of God's spirit, say, Lord, fill me afresh. Man, I'm walking in anger and bitterness. I need love poured into me. And ask for God's filling of his spirit. And he may bring some heavy conviction in order to get that overflow to be overflowing. And that fruit of the Spirit is love, demonstrated by peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Against such there's no law. Love is demonstrated in many different ways, in every way. So ask God to fill you with your Spirit, with His Spirit. But He says, keep asking and keep being filled. And number three, He says, what does that look like? Or this is a, a sub part of number two. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? And I don't know about you, but look at verse 19. It says, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. When was the last time you sang a song to somebody? Anybody? It's you all fleshly people. Come on now, start singing songs to each other. Look at what Paul's saying. Address one another in psalms and hymns. Bless the Lord. I mean, that's like Paul walking around singing to people. What does it look like? What's Paul talking about? Is he literally saying going and dress people with psalms and hymns? Yes. What does it look like? He's talking about joy. Man, it should be joyful, not just in here. When you get to work, it should be joyful, even in all the problems. When you're on the freeway, it should be, yeah, praising my songs. I'm, I'm singing psalms and hymns, making spiritual songs. What's a spiritual song? I don't know. Just start singing one. It's the overflow. Listen, he put it in order. Ask for the filling of God's spirit. If you're not a person that likes to sing songs, man, you're missing out. Lord, give me a melody. Teach. I don't have joy. Then ask God for that. The overflow of God's spirit looks joyful and exciting. That's what Paul's talking about. And he says, number three here, verse 20. As a result of that, you will be giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, what does it look like to walk in love? Man, you're a thankful person. Not drinking, to get drunk, filled with God's spirit, overflow with joy, giving thanks constantly. When was the last time you sat down and journaled? Lord, I thank you for and made a list. Man, that's a good word for us to be encouraged. Make a list of what you're thankful for. And if you can't think of anything, you're breathing. That's one. If you can't think of anything, you're walking. That's two. It might be with a limp, but you're walking. You got hair. You got eyebrows. 
you got nose hairs. So we, we play this game in our car. The Lord just did this with us one day. Ron, on the way to school, you can play it in your car too. We call it the thankful game. So I'm on the way to school. I got all five kids in the car. And you know what it was like? It was a train wreck trying to get out of the house to go to school on time. And it was a train wreck getting in the car. Everybody's angry, frustrated. Somebody didn't have breakfast or they had breakfast and didn't like it or whatever else. And angry, everybody's grumpy. So we do devotions on the way to school every morning. So we pull up the Harvest app or the John Corson app or John Piper or whoever else, and they have a daily devotional, and we read it every day on the way to school. So I'm like, let's read the devotion. I don't want to read the devotion. (laughs) Everyone in the car was all grumpy. I'm like, that's it. We're playing the thankful game. (laughs) What's that game? You have to find five things that you're thankful for. I'm thankful for the air, the food, the car, the tires, and my hair. Like, no, 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 no. That's not how we play the thankful game. We don't play the thankful game. We do it one at a time and we go around the entire car. So I'll go first. I'm thankful that I'm alive today. And then Elsie goes, I'm thankful for my teeth. And then Ephraim doesn't want to go. I'm thankful for the window. And then Olivia goes, and then Bailey goes, and McKenna goes. By the time we got to the fifth thing, they were cracking up. I was thanking God for my nose hairs. I was thanking God for toenails. And by the time we got there, because as they began to give thanks to God, there was joy in their hearts. I'm telling you, we need to do that. If you're frustrated and bitter and angry, start praising God and giving him thanks. Man, I can look at Nick Fujek, who was born with no arms and no legs, and he's got a little flipper with two toes, and go, man, guy's got more joy than I've ever had. Johnny Erickson Tata, paralyzed from the neck down, more joy than I've ever had. Lord, it could be worse We could be on the way to hell and not know it, Lord, and yet you've saved us. Man, physical ailments, who cares? I'm going to heaven, man. Like, it could be worse. Get my eyes off myself and get them on God who loves us and has given us an amazing thing. And just play the thankful game. Start, make a list of 20. If it takes you 100, then make a list of 100 until you get there. By the end, you'll be laughing. Because man, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Amen. Number four, it says this. What does it mean to walk in love? And I'm going to close with these last couple things. It says this. Verse 23. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the question I ask you is this. When was the last time you submitted to somebody? Because submission is only submission when you don't agree with it. If I agree with you, hey, let's go golfing. Great. I'm not submitting. I'm doing what I want. It's when a boss says, hey, I want you to do this, and you don't want to do it. It's when your wife says, hey, uh, can you do the laundry for me? Not my job. (laughs) Wrong answer. (laughs) Sleeping on the couch. (laughs) What? Does it mean to submit? 
It, it means to take a position willingly to serve somebody else. It says to submit one to another. That means there's times I submit to my kids. There's times I submit to my wife, my boss, my coworker, somebody who doesn't know the Lord. What, I mean, imagine what the freeway would look like if we, walk, if we drove in submission. Have the lane. I'm behind the guy going, you give another lane up, I'm going to pass you. And, right? What would submission look like on the freeway? We laugh about that, but hey, that's practical. Paul's talking practical. Remember, he's, he's talking about not being drunk, but being filled with the Spirit, joy, singing psalms and hymns. Submitting one to another in the fear of God. Man, that becomes real powerful because this is what it means to walk in love. Submission. Now, he has said all of these things and I believe he's going to hit on the two critical points of a husband and wife. And he says this in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. And I want you to underline this phrase, as to the Lord, ladies. Any single gals in here? You better get this down really good so you can tell your husband, okay? It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to God. That's the key. The submission part is not key. The submission part is not key. The key is, as you submit to God, that's how you submit to your husband. And he says, because the husband is, and circle this word, the head of the wife. That word means source of life. It literally means decapitating a body. Body's dead. Heads on the body, it's alive. Heads off the body, it's dead. The husband is the source of life in the family. Or he is the source of death in that family. That's what this passage is talking about. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to God. Because... The husband is the source of life in the family. And it says, as Christ, again, circle that, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and in himself, the savior. The husband is not the savior of the family. Christ is. And because of that, he's put the husband at the head that he might be the source of life and the savior of the family. But the opposite is true as well. He is the source of death in that family. Wives, you submit as you do to God. And when a husband is not in submission to God, it's a very gray area. Let's just say that. And so that's a life that you walk in a very reverent way. Because remember, the foundation of this is in verse 21. We submit to one another because of the fear and reverence of God. I submit to my wife as much as my wife submits to me because I fear God and because she fears God. And for those men that don't fear God, they won't submit themselves to their wives. That's sad. Because together we are one. Divided, we are nothing. We are divided. And and I, I say that because, you know, 23 years of ministry and seeing a lot of divorces and broken families, nine, six years of youth ministry, five kids, um, 100, 200 plus weddings, 500 plus funerals. Life is brutal, especially when it comes to marriage. 
And I see too many poor examples of what it means to walk in love from a husband. And the wife just cannot submit to a husband who's verbally and socially abusive. Nor should she. There should be some accountability. And we of the church have failed to some degree. Walk in holiness. Walk in love. Man, you've got a happy wife. You don't? It's brutal. It's deadly. Then it says this to the husbands. Let me just say this too. I love this example. Um, when uh, my wife and I were engaged, uh, we had to go down to Calvary because we wanted Pastor Chuck to do our wedding, which he agreed to. And, uh, but we had to get a, uh, not a pastoral recognition, but we had to see a pastor before we got married. And that pastor was Pastor Romaine. Now, if you don't know who Romaine is, he's an old military Marine sergeant, and he was Chuck's right-hand man for 36 years. And rough on the outside, tender on the inside. Short little stubby guy, about 5'7", stocky, you know. Um, And he did our premarital counseling. Uh, It was an hour meeting. uh, And for 55 minutes, he spoke to me. (laughs) And he read me every scripture about what my role was as a husband. And he said, you're to represent Christ to her. I don't care if she's right or if she's wrong. You're the first to apologize. You're to be Christ to her. So for 55 minutes, he spoke to me. He grilled me. He drilled me. He taught me in 55 minutes what it was like to be a man. And then he spoke to my wife for five minutes. Had this great conversation with her. (laughs) You've lasted two years with this guy and you don't want to leave him? Okay. Like, that's it? You're not going to tell her all the scripture? And I got the picture. I'm to lead by example. I'm the savior of that body because Christ has saved me. It's Christ who's going to save that family. And he'll use a man. He'll use a woman as well. I got the point. And in this context, Paul gives three verses to a woman. He gives nine verses to a man. Paul's very clear about where leadership comes from. And I believe this is the pinnacle of what he's talking about, about walking in love. Wives and husbands. Notice he hasn't dealt with the children yet because he'll he'll talk about that in chapter 6 in spiritual warfare. But he's talking about walking in love from chapter 4 and 5 and he crowns it with the wife and then the husband. And listen to what he says to the husband. Husbands, take note because it says this. Husbands, love your wives, and you can underline this word, as Christ loved the church, and as Christ gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives the way they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished it and cherished it, just as Christ does the church. 
The irony of all of this is that Paul never told a woman to love her husband. It's going to be the natural outflow of a husband loving her wife. And he says, love your wives the way Christ loved the church and that he gave himself up for it and sacrificed his life. What would that look like in our society if I as a man, as a husband, would lay my life down on a daily basis to love my wife the way Jesus loved the church? Man, that would look way different than what I used to do. I mean, for 19 years, my wife and I were married. We'd been together for 21, and she walked up to me and handed me a book and said, if you don't read this book, we're going to get divorced. We'd been in ministry for 21 years, been married for 19 of that. We had five kids. That was about a year and a half ago. It's pretty humbling. Pastor's wife, come on, you need to be holy. How easy would it have been for me to put that guilt trip on her? So I, I read a chapter in about a month. And she said, I wasn't joking. I'm done. I'm tired of being a roommate. I'm tired of not being loved and cared for and nurtured and cherished. Like this says, I'm done. You want a roommate? Go live, live the single life. And I would tell her, like, we had these conversations for years. I, I want to change, Kirsty. I just don't know how. Really? Mr. Pastor, study of the scriptures, been to Bible college, doesn't know how to love his wife. How sad. Isn't that sad? And yet we are here in the church doing the same thing. Look at all the ministry I'm doing. You know what she'd say to me at times? She goes, you're more caring and loving to people in the congregation than you are to me. I see how you are down front. Hey, and all smiley, and, but they don't sleep with you. They don't come home to why isn't the laundry done? They don't come home to Mr. Angry or frustrated or snide remark or comments. She's right. If you don't read the book, we're done. I read the book in a week. Changed my life. Discipled me on what it meant to love my wife, what Paul is saying here. What does it mean to walk in love this way? This is powerful. This is the gospel that says... This is what it means to have life. And we've all been recipients of bad families and unloving things, but it's never too late to start. What would it look like for me to love my wife and give myself up for her every day? Why? Paul says that I might sanctify her, cleanse her. I'm to be washing her in the word. I mean, we went years without having devotions together. Sad. As a pastor, washing my wife in the word. Not giving her a lecture, not teaching her a sermon, just reading the word together. That I would be able, and I love what Paul says, to present her to myself. I'm the dumb-dumb if I don't love her that way. I'm going to get blessed by loving her this way. And I will fight for my selfishness because I want to do what I want to do. And I'll do it in the name of Jesus. You're going to be in ministry with me. You're going to do this. And I do that by my actions, by not talking with her about things that we're doing. And I can tell you for the first time in this last year and a half, we're actually doing ministry together. And I'm ashamed to say that. Like, we're on the same page. I mean, that's why she's here with me tonight. 
honey, I'd love for you to be there with me. I get to go up and share at Jeff's church, well, at Jesus' church that Jeff's pastoring. He's just a wicked shepherd. He's a sinner to the core like we all are. He's not a wicked shepherd. He's just a sheep with sinner. Sin in his life just like we all are, but he's a great shepherd. But honey, would you come with me? And she was gracious enough to, yes, I come, and she worked out the kids getting taken care of because so, they couldn't come up. They had some things going on. I mean, I'm presenting it to myself. Jesus presented the church to himself, spotless and blameless, it says, because it says in the next verse, verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh. What would it look like to love your wife the way you love yourself? And for you single people, what would it look like to love somebody else, your neighbor, the way you love yourself? Some single people have it hard because you're the only person to please. And it's hard to get out of your selfishness sometimes. I get it. Throw your life into somebody else. What would it look like for me to cherish and nourish my wife? What would it look like for me to cherish and nourish my kids? To spend that time with them and and soak them in the word. And he says, therefore, verse 31, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. That word hold fast there literally means to be glued to. I like that picture. Sometimes our extended families are dividing us. You guys need to be unified in your, in your marriages, in your relationships. Paul closes it by saying this, and I'll close with saying this. Therefore, this is a mystery in verse 32. It's profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife the way he loves himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. The greatest gift I can give to my kids is a wife that's loved like Christ. The word nourish and cherish, and this is one of the quotes out of the book that I read that really spoke to my heart. It means to cause to be mature. And one of the questions this gentleman asked is, is your wife or your neighbor more in love with Jesus because they're a part of you? Or do they hate Jesus more? My wife didn't want to go to church because of what it meant. I'm ashamed to say that. And yet I know that God has done a great work in our lives. But God is calling each one of us tonight to step up to this place of realizing his grace and mercy and then walking in love like you've never been done before. And you need to change things. You need to let God change things in your life. We need to confess our sin and say, Lord, change me. Forgive me of my bitterness, my wrath. Don't let me be the grumpy neighbor. I want to be the the guy that's singing psalms and hymns or the woman that's just exuding the fragrance of Christ because of the love I've received. Just confess that and say, yes, Lord, because he will come in like a rushing wind. God, help us to walk in this type of love. Amen? Well, let's stand as we pray. The band will come out. I just want to encourage you. I'm just going to pray for us. I know that's a lot to go through, and I know the Lord has spoken to each one of us in specific areas. God has heard and seen your heart. He wants to help you to walk in love. 
as you leave this place. It's easy for us to go through scripture. The hardest thing is to live this book out. But by God's grace, he will give you the grace to do it. But you must say yes. If you've never given your life to Christ, it's as simple as just saying this in your heart, Lord, God, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and help me to walk with you. If you're in a place where you've been walking with God, but this spoke to you and said, that's me in so many areas or just this area, God hears your heart and says, yes, I will come in. And as I pray, you just voice that to God. And he will fill you with his spirit and help you to walk in love. It's the best life. The last year and a half for me has been amazing because God has broken me by that loving, caring wife that had the boldness to say, I want better. God wants better for you, Craig. I want to be married to a man. God wants better for you. Just open your heart and say yes, and he'll come in and he'll overflow you. He'll baptize you afresh in the spirit that you can walk in love, singing psalms and hymns and making melody in your heart one to another, submitting to each other. Amen? Amen. Father God, we thank you for every heart in here that's represented and every person that's hearing this, Lord. May you just overflow our hearts with the baptism of your spirit, Lord. For those that need to be saved, that they would simply say, yes, Lord, forgive me my sins. And you make that agreement that they are saved because they believe they're sinners and Christ died for their sin. They've received that forgiveness. So Lord, save those in here that need to be. And if that's you, just say yes, Lord. And for the rest of us, Lord, fill us afresh with your spirit, Lord. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to walk in love. The therefores are therefore because you loved us and you want us to walk in love. So Lord, help us to do that to one another. Help us to speak truth to one another. To stop gossiping, Father, to walk in submission. To drive like a a saint, not a sinner, Lord. And Lord, to give up drinking if we need to do that, to let go of the ties of sin, Lord, that we would set these things aside and push them apart to let deceitfulness go, anger, malice, wrath, contention, strife, coarse words, Lord, just endless, worthless words. May they be words that edify, Lord. So fill us afresh with your spirit. May we sing this song of worship, not out of just words, Lord, out of a heart that reflects that you are the God who saves us. So Lord, as we leave this place, fill us afresh with your spirit. Help us to walk in love. And we ask it in Jesus' name. God's family said, amen. Amen.